Let's dig into today's message. I got a longer one today, but it's the final one on women who made a difference. But today I want to focus on how scripture affirms women, uh, especially in light of the horrific um, patriarchal rules that have suppressed women's voices in the church for so long. Um, I'm going to kind of dig into that a little bit today. But before we do, today is also Trinity Sunday. This is the the day, uh, the Sunday that around the world, most Christians celebrate the uh, the Trinity and understanding and recognizing God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, in the Christian calendar, it's May 30th. Um, so let's, I have a couple things I want to share with you on this and then we'll uh, jump into our message time. When we say God is triune, the triune God, we are saying something about who God is beyond, before, and after the universe. That there is community within God. Our experience of this is reflected in Paul's words. When we pray to God as Jesus prayed to his Abba, an everyday intimate parental address, the Spirit prays with us, creating between us and God the same relationship Jesus has with the one who sent him. In the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, it is reported that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost sat down once and had lunch with Abraham in the plains of Mimir. The table has been the hallmark of the Trinity ever since. The world is about the mystery by which the created order of pieces and parts is to become the image of coherence of the divine, three divine persons about the forming of the body of Christ, the building of the city of God. And the board is the first of the places at which it happens. If that sounds a little fancy for your own table full of upset glasses and brawling children, remember Abraham. He set God the best table he could, but his wife embarrassed him by being rude. I think this is one where where, uh, Sarah laughed. (laughs) From this point of view, the occasion was hardly a success. As it turned out, however, it didn't matter. He became the father of the people of the coherence anyway. The city of God began with a meal and didn't go right. Your spilled milk isn't going to hold up the building of it too much. So this is from uh, uh, Robert uh, uh, Capon, uh, a great quote. I I didn't make all this up. Um, But this is pointing to the idea that, hey, this this God we say we believe in, uh, he's designed us for a relationship. Another image of the Trinity is this. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So there's lots of imagery of how to try to understand the Trinity. None of them are exactly correct. Um, There's no full knowability of it. Um, And even in the Bible, the word Trinity is not even mentioned. Some people say that there isn't one because it's not mentioned well there's a lot of stuff not mentioned that's still factual and and uh, truth is derived from not just the written word but what we see in nature too and 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 the concepts that we see in here so it's it's pretty cool uh kenneth tanner wrote this is the last thing on the trinity the trinity sunday readings remind us what's most important god knows us and loves us we don't know god The Father knows humanity and has sent the Son into the world for love of the world, to rescue the creation from the impermanence, not to condemn us, but to unite us to himself. That's a great reminder on the Trinity. All right. 
Women who made a difference. How scripture affirms women. I got a lot to get through. I hope, I'm sure I will, I will get through it because I have to. I'm not continuing this any further than today. But uh, last week we talked about the five women in Matthew. Uh, and so I want, I want to now share the names of how this comes about. Because women played a major role in the genealogy of Jesus. The opening verses of the Gospel of Matthew trace the ancestry of Jesus back to the patriarch Abraham. Not surprisingly, Jesus' genealogy is an immemorable one. Uh, including Jacob, Judah, David, Solomon, and Hezekiah. Somewhat unusually, however, the list includes four women from the Hebrew Bible. Interesting. In Matthew's Jewish world, genealogies typically mentioned only men. But, even more surprisingly, these four women are mentioned. we got Tamar, uh, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Uh, these are the four women mentioned in the genealogy, and it's bizarre where they where they fit into the story. Why would Matthew include these women in the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham? Well, he used a prostitute, Rahab. Rahab was the one who uh, was in the walls of Jericho when uh, the Hebrews walked around the city seven times um, and blew the trumpets. The walls came down. She was the one who hid the spies, and they told her to put a, a red um, sheet down or rope, whatever, uh, outside of her window to let them know that was her house. And her house was not destroyed. She was right on the wall, but hers didn't come down. But apparently the rest of the city did. How did she fit into the genealogy of Jesus? That's just bizarre. That's really cool, though. So here's a prostitute. Usually, listen, if you're going to try and create a holy scripture and and really try to make your God look really good, you're going to leave out all the dirty parts. You're going to leave all out all the shameful parts. But <laughs> that's not what this story is about. Then we have the woman who pretended to be a prostitute, Tamar. Uh, that's another long story where she was robbed of her right to bear children, and so she tricked somebody. It just—it's crazy stuff. And then uh, we have uh, Ruth, who was a woman from a people group that were forbidden, not even allowed to be around Jews, and yet she is in the lineage of Jesus. We talked about her last week briefly. And then we have Bathsheba. Bathsheba's involved in the lineage of Jesus. First of all, David, okay, uh, he wasn't the greatest dad figure. Sometimes people talk about David uh, on Father's Day, and it's like, wait a minute, he was, he was not a good example to follow. But maybe there's some good things, and there is. There's some good things we can learn from, from him. But here we have Bathsheba, who David killed her husband so he could take her, so he did. Like, And yet she is included in the lineage of Jesus. Why? Well, it's not. It's likely because it isn't about having a perfect pedigree, having the perfect list. Uh, the list of spotty reputations are far bigger with the men. So if we're going to pick on women having um, uh, spotty, sketchy backgrounds, well, the men are far worse, okay? Like, they're, if you're going to count errors, which God is not, that's, that's the point. The point is everyone's included. Even if you think you're not, even if you try to point at errors in your way, uh, things you've done wrong, and think, I'm just not included, or uh, hope I make it. Well, wait a minute. This is, the point here is everyone's included. All right? That is really good news. So how does Scripture affirm women in ministry? I want to tell you something first, because um, this is, <laughs> uh, my upbringing kind of made it, uh, um, 
difficult because I grew up in a patriarchal church where all the elders were men. Uh, it was a Baptist church. Um, women didn't have a voice except when they got home. Boy, the husbands hear it. <laughs> they had their voices heard okay. They just told the husbands what to say. Anyway, I'm, I'm kidding, but not really. Um, so a number of years ago, uh, I was pastoring in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And uh, I had just come from the Brethren in Christ Church, um, which seemed to affirm women more than the Alliance did. But uh, as I began in this denomination, I went to this conference in Ottawa. And one of the key things they were going to talk about was women in ministry. Can you believe that? This is what I thought was a very forward denomination to find out they're way behind, like way behind. And uh, yet there was a passion within that group of people that wanted to see um, women being affirmed. They can be ordained, speak, blah, 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 be leaders and elders. Um, and again, this has to do with legal constitution stuff within denominations. That's where denominations can have curses because sometimes regulations tend to override passion and the spirit. Uh, people tend to say, well, our doctrine says this or our, our constitution says this, our bylaws say this. Well, hang on. In fact, here's something fun about Hope Fellowship. Um, uh, one of our quiet mottos, it's not really written down, but uh, uh, I think it was Rod who penned this phrase. If the regulations and bylaws cease to serve us, then we change the bylaws. And I think that has inspired me since I first arrived here at Hope Fellowship. We're not going to be bound to a rule just because it's a rule. If we discover we must change things because we are learning more or a situation has changed, then we change things. So back to this uh, Christian Missionary Alliance conference. Um, the groundwork, now this I'm telling the story to show you this is a huge issue. It is not a single sermon topic. This, this, is, this is so big. In fact, for the, I think for two years, the denomination had sent out documents to every church covering all the different perspectives of women in ministry. Uh, the egalitarian, the uh, now, now I'm forgetting all the, t the categories, uh, but there's like four different views that were available to. There was the no women can't have a say in church. Uh, all the way to absolutely fully on. And then there's the in-betweeners. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but um, wishy-washy. And so um, here, here's what happened. The information went out. Everybody had it. This was a really big conference, as in this topic was going to divide. In fact, when the, by the time the vote came, and I knew people that were on that committee on, uh, that are, were on opposing sides and they were friends of mine and I respected them really much. So to have them both um, having this meeting and then bring it to the vote for the assembly to, to vote on this, um, it was, it, I saw for the first time, I saw God move in the hearts of people on a contentious issue because I thought, okay, people are going to quit. Churches will leave the Alliance church if um if they vote women cannot have leadership and then others will say well we'll leave if they do so there, it was hotly divided and so when this committee came out to uh, before the vote happened there was a final say and my, my friend paul spoke and when he shared this this is where the pin you can hear a pin drop in this huge building in in, in ottawa he said we have come to a conclusion and we feel this is the, the heart of God. And we, we believe that 
whatever we decide here today, and we're going to um, encourage, this, this is the vote they're after, we're going to let each church determine, and we'll give you guidelines on how you can uh, move towards uh, full acceptance or not, and not make it a legislation from the top down. And uh, when I saw that there was a more of an independence given to individual churches, it blew my mind. And I saw people on the opposing sides come together in one faith and while disagreeing on some topics and still saying, this is, we're still a family. I thought that was, that was pretty amazing. So to have all this documentation, like I had pages thick, this thick of, of documentation, but four different perspectives we had to read through to have a much deeper understanding on this. So it's not just the Bible plainly says, okay, the Bible does not plainly say anything. It might say it plainly to you, but it may not say it as plainly to me. Or there are others who have dug in deeper and, and maybe studied something much further, and it says something different to them. So we cannot use this harsh tone of the Bible plainly says. It doesn't only your translation does and your interpretation is plain so uh when i'm going to get into this this uh text now this is i want you to see there's more going on than you think so i'm summarizing what i've come to see and i hope it will affirm and encourage women for sure because if you've not heard in the last three the last three uh sundays of teaching on this uh, you're, you're deaf. <laughs> like, okay. So here, we're going to get a little bit blunt. Um, so here's some key points. Male and female are created together in the image of God. All right. Genesis 1 27. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. This is called equality. We're equal. One is not above the other. Never has been. Even though we've seen it happen in cultures and in societies, it, from the biblical record of what we're seeing, because it plainly says, <laughs> it doesn't. But this is where we get the idea the, uh, that there is a, a complete equality. So if there's a guy out there who thinks he has a bigger voice over his wife, you're, you got a problem, my friend. You are not seeing the equality of God. In fact, if you want to be more like God, you submit <laughs> you submit to one another, not dominate. There's no room for that. The woman is Ezer Kanegdo, which connotes uh, corresponding strength and power. So this, this uh, from this is the de the word. Ezer Kenego is the word helper in what I'm about to read. In Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So, again, many translations will say just a slightly different way, but this word helper, sometimes translated as helpmate, um, it is not to be taken that um, sidekick, all right, or an add-on, like an app, as in the male is uh, the dominant one. No, 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 that, that's not what this is. Let's take a look. Um, this, this is powerful. The Hebrew word easer means one who helps, one who brings what that which is lacking to the aid of another. So the man was not complete. So they needed someone else. There's something about having both. There's something about connections. We're created for connection. We really are. The easier assists an, another towards accomplishing a goal. Thus, the word easier actually connotes the inherent strength. This is where strength comes from. 
The word kinego means corresponding to, joined together. Ezer kinego means an essential counterpart or corresponding strength. Corresponding strength. And Ezer is someone who is for you, an ally, someone who supports, aids, rallies to your cause and brings you strength. It works both ways. And God entrusted this Ezer nature to women that they might reflect his character in this distinct and powerful way. So we need both. We need men and women in leadership. Now, listen, I'm, I want to be careful how I say this, but I think it's important. When it comes to leadership in any capacity, any role of any kind, I don't think gender should be the first thing that's considered. No, I think giftedness is. And so when you're trying to uh, jockey for a position uh, based on your gender, you want your rights, I think there's a problem. I think we need to look at the gift mix. There are people that are gifted. I'll talk about pastors for a moment. There are many guy pastors who should never be pastoring. They don't have the gift, but they've been put into the role because the particular church thinks a man should rule and lead. Well, that's baloney. I know women that are far more qualified than some of these guys. And it's about gift mix, not about gender. It's about giftedness. And we're going to talk about the pastors in the Bible. There, There is reference in scripture to women leaders. I'm getting to that in a little bit, but... I thought this whole idea of the Ezer Kenego, uh, oh my goodness, that's really cool. I never saw that before. I didn't, I've heard about it, but I, as I did some research, I realized, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful way to see this um, idea or concept of God bringing in a helper to Adam. It's not one is lesser, it's an equal. There's also a description of consequences, not a prescription for a curse in Genesis 3.16. When he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in the pain you will give birth. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So this is a curse. This is a consequence, all right? Not a prescription. So when we say, see, your husband will rule over you, some, some churches and men have said, see, the Bible says, it plainly says, oh my goodness, can you see where this plainly says garbage goes? It's garbage. So this is a consequence of something that was written down, okay? This is not the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus is taking away the curse, all right? So you can't use that. Stop it. Miriam is a woman, Old Testament. She was a prophet in Exodus 15, 20. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. So... In the old patriarchal system, there's a woman prophet. All right? They're there. You got to look for them. Then we have Hulda. <laughs> she was a prophet. I'd never heard of her. 2 Kings 22, 14 to 20. <coughs> and again, if you're not looking for it, you won't find it. But when you begin looking, you're going to find something incredible. So Hilkiah, the priest, Aikiham, Ab. Akbor, Shehan, and Asaya, um, don't you love these names, went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Hulda. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, son of Hardas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. <laughs> See, look at that role, temple wardrobe role. Anyway, she was a prophet. They went to her. So this, this, is, this is huge, especially Old Testament. 
So if you've got this lens that women uh, shouldn't be leaders, I am ticking you off right now, and that's okay. Uh, it's time that you hear a different lens, a more hope-filled perspective. Born, both, sorry, both sons and daughters will prophesy. This is in Acts 21, verse 9, but this is from Joel. So we're going to go back to Joel uh, 2.28. This is like a prophecy. Then after doing all of those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. It gets better. In Acts 2.17, this is where it was fulfilled. All right. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. It's happened. It's already happened. The last days aren't coming. They've already happened. All right. This is, this is huge. When the Holy Spirit came on the people in the upper room, it was on men and women. I think we're going to get to that in a moment. It says both sons and daughters will prophesy. In Acts 21.9, it says he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. See, there's a, there's, it's about giftedness, not gender. So don't try and shove it into that spot or that cubbyhole. Or don't try to contain your false concept that women have no say and shouldn't be in leadership roles. Absolutely. Equally. All right. Keep going. Both sons and daughters will prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 11, 11, it says, But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. Okay, some people stop there. They don't read the rest. Because <laughs> it says, and you can see it on the screen, And men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. So everything comes from God. So these lame concepts that... Uh, uh, the guys don't think they have to listen and they make decisions apart from their spouse. Those are unhealthy. We, if you're married, you don't get to make the big decisions on your own. Try it sometimes. See how well it goes. I've done that. Oops. I've, I've learned. <laughs> I've eaten a lot of crow too. But uh, I, didn't, I don't think I had the attitude of uh, because I'm the guy I can do that. But it, I've made decisions on my own and it affected our family. And uh, some good, some bad. But the, the, the point here is this, what it says. Uh, we're not independent of each other at all. And I think that's really cool, especially for those who think they are. Hmm. It was women that Jesus appeared to first and who first proclaimed the resurrection. In Luke 24, 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what happened. It was women who were the first proclaimers. It was women who first told the apostles. <laughs> yeah, and the story then after that, what happened? The men wrote down the stories and you don't hear much about women. But the women were fully involved not given enough credit it's just frustrating when you start to see it in rapid fire like i'm sharing with you today the woman at the well proclaims the messiah and the samaritans believe this is a powerful image john 4 39 says many samaritans from the village believed in jesus because the woman had said he told me everything i ever did this is a profound and powerful image. In fact, Lori and I are watching this series uh, called The Chosen. If you get to see it, it's a, it's a cool translation uh, story of Jesus. 
uh, and it jumps around a lot. It's really, really good. I know Becky McKay is watching it and loves it. Um, I think it took like the second or third one and really got into it. Like it just hook, line, sinker, we're in. Uh, very well done. It's like it's like having read the King James Bible for so long and now you get the message translation. Uh, that's kind of what this this series is like. And this particular scene happens. And to see her involved in the rest of the story is really cool. I, I just love it. It just made the whole, makes Jesus more real, makes the disciples. We, you see the conflict between the disciples. And there's a woman, one or two women that are traveling with the disciples. We don't read that in the scripture. But the way they portrayed it in this series is really balanced. I love it. Anyway, that was cool. Women were among Jesus' disciples in the upper room. In Acts 1.14, when this Holy Spirit came, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. So women were totally present at the time when the Holy Spirit came on all of them, and they all spoke in tongues. Like, are you starting to get the picture here? I hope so. Phoebe, she's a deacon. Priscilla is a co-worker, and Juna is an apostle. These are women you've probably not heard of, or uh, you're never told anything about them. It was skimmed over in Sunday school, or if somebody was preaching on it, you did not hear, or have their role emphasized in any sermon. Rarely. If you have, you're lucky. Okay, Very rarely is this happening. In Romans 16, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church. All right, a deacon. That's like really cool. Uh, verse 3, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. Okay? There, was a, there wasn't a separation of genders. It was one. They were together. It was like, you, you can't make this stuff up. Phoebe is a deacon. Oh, we got into that. But in verse 6 now in Romans, it says, Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Androcheus and Junia. Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. So the, the, there's like serious leadership. And Junia is considered, according to the... the and I, again, I read this in multiple translations... It clearly implies that Junia is a, uh, an apostle. Well, how'd they get to be apostles? I don't know. But there they are. For all those who are trying to say that women should not have leadership roles, well, you're short-sighted. Very short-sighted. Tunnel vision. <laughs> women are praying and prophesying in a mixed gathering. What? Yes, 1 Corinthians 11.5. And if any woman in a place of leadership within the church prays or prophesies in public with her long hair disheveled, she shows disrespect to her head, which is her husband, for this would be the same as having her head shaved. Okay, this is a clobber verse. This is one of the verses that gets used to bonk women over the head. Men are the ones swinging the hammer. All right, this is one of the big ones. However, uh, let, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but in this context, if you just see this here, the point is they're prophesying in public. Now here, this is talking about shouldn't let your hair head be covered, uncovered. Otherwise, you um, it's like shaving your head. It, it's, it, it's a public disrespect. 
Again, this is about context. This is for the culture in that location. This is not for all women. All right. He's addressing something specific. But the point here I'm making on this particular slide, it's that women were already prophesying in public. It was happening. It wasn't like the women didn't speak. It was only the men disciples. No, the women were speaking already. Hence the extra guidelines. Okay. Now remember, women were not allowed to do a lot of that. Okay. The whole culture didn't, didn't bode for that. Remember, Jesus was the first women's liberator. And when you get a taste of freedom, you're probably going to want to exercise that freedom. Unfortunately, the pendulum can swing the wrong way so quickly that you overuse your freedom. Listen, if you've been given a new freedom, you be careful not to overuse it or push it. Continue in the humility of Christ and the freedoms you have. Sometimes our freedom is to not have to. You think, oh, now I get to. Well, you also have the right not to do and exercise all freedoms because the people around you may not be ready. Dial it back. In, in this case, it was the women speaking. And I think Paul was trying to say, hey, dial it back, ladies. In that, in where, it, there's a lot of trouble where you are. Don't. Here we go. Paul's addressing a specific problem in a specific context. <laughs> Listen, here's another one. A clobber verse that men use. Women should be silent during church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. <sighs> so, again, a clobber verse. Um, does, it mean, uh, does this mean what it plainly says? No. It does not mean what it plainly says, okay? This is a translation out of, and if you if you take this and just use it to tell women to be quiet and not speak in church, because they use this verse to say women should be preachers. Listen, context matters. Uh, anybody who studies the scriptures knows, especially when you're studying hermeneutics, which, which is the interpretation of scripture. Every hermeneutics teacher that I've seen and heard always expresses the importance of context, culture, who is being spoken to, who are the listeners, what, what does the culture say in that day? You have to understand that in order to understand the meaning of these words. So is this for everybody? No. It is not. Paul's addressing an issue. Like I said, women did not have a lot of freedom, but now they're being given freedom through Christ. And maybe some of them were way overusing it. They didn't know how to dial it back. So Paul went ahead and gave an instruction. Unfortunately, people have turned this into a rule. It's like, we, listen, I believed this rule for a long time. That's what I grew up with. But the more I, I've come to see who God is and that God is love and he's included everyone, that there is no separation, there is no us versus them. There's no us versus them when it comes to gender either. God's becoming bigger and better all the time. And the more my concept of God, my understanding of who God is grows and who the Trinity is, then these types of verses start to soften. And I realize, huh, there's another way to see this. And I was never told. So... Just anyway, I, I hope that makes sense. Where you have freedoms or you want to express a freedom that you've newly found, 
be careful. You're probably going to have your pendulum swing way too far. And if you're too stubborn and going la, 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 plugging your ears, you're not hearing the voices of those who are trying to say, hey, um, knock it off. You're, you're going too fast. So, again, this, is, this happens everywhere when any kind of freedom comes all the time. Male and female are one in Christ. Gender and race are not limitations. Galatians 3.28 says, we, are no, we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ. Wow. Now imagine if we did that today, that we no longer see each other uh, as, um, it says Jew and non-Jew. We can just say as Canadians or Americans, as uh, Mexicans or Russians, as uh, um, Chinese and Japanese. We don't see each other after those lines anymore. That we are one, all one. That we don't see the rich versus the poor, marginalized versus, versus the privileged. If we don't see that anymore, we don't see each other after that lens. Now we're starting to see through the eyes of Jesus that everyone is included. There is no us versus them period that includes the marginalized the lgbtq community they're included in the love of christ all right and if we don't see that then we're not seeing that through the eyes of jesus if we see uh, black lives matter and we say well i'm so tired of it well their lives do matter so do everyone else's but they're the ones hurting big right now are the native uh, native history in canada uh, hearing the story about the 215 skeletons found at a residential school in BC. Oh my goodness, these are marginalized people. Uh, it's embarrassing that my country did that. That they put people away, hurt them, killed them, marginalized them. But we're not supposed to see anybody after that. <laughs> Listen, we're one. Next time you see a nationality walk past you that you're not comfortable with or not used to seeing, you're one with that person. You are. Quit judging them so horrifically. The prejudice is dripping from our lips sometimes and we don't even know it. We've done it to women in the church. See, if you clean up at church, it doesn't, you can do anything. You can judge anything at church because there's a context or a verse to be taken out of context all through scripture to back that up. <laughs> Uh, I'll be careful. Or I, my rant's going to go bad. I'm going to stop here. Paul's addressing a specific problem in a specific church. He says in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. This is the shut up verse. This is the clobber verse that has been used to tell women to be quiet. It is no longer allowed. You cannot use this. Because there's way too much other evidence that appeals to our equality. All right? You have to take that into account. You have to take context into account here. And there's too many raging, angry ministers out there right now. And I know some of them. And, mm, um, they, they would, I, I would get nasty comments if, if they were to ever watch my stuff, which they would never watch. They're too full of themselves. Um, but the point here is, this kind of a verse is not 
the Bible plainly says, okay, it is, there's context, and he was addressing a specific issue. And I am not alone uh, on this, all right? There are many, many, many who have seen this all through history, okay? Women have been part of the founding of the historical church, and we must remember them. And the study and study more and discover our faith roots are richer than what we have been told. It is time to honor women equally. And if you and what I mean by equally is if you've never even given a thought, then you need to give it thought. If you have been honoring in your attitude, yay, keep going. And if you have felt suppressed, oh please, I'm sorry. I hope it was never me. I hope it was never our church. And let us change our ways. There's, there's hope. I, I hope these last four messages have really made it clear that women play a role in the church, not just men. And it's, I believe it's based on gifts, all right? So just because you, I want to lead music and you can't sing, then you ain't gifted, okay? Like if, sorry, it's how it works. So um, just because of your gender, you say, well, we need more women doing this. Well, give me gifted people then. I'm not looking for a gender. I'm looking for gifted individuals to do roles. There are people that are great at all kinds of roles. We've had women speak at Hope Fellowship all the time. And I want more of that. But, you know, I'm not going to put somebody up front that's not gifted to speak. You know, it's not their thing. So... I'm not singling anything out. And I'm, I'm, by teaching this, I'm affirming. And I'm telling myself this too. This is my journey of learning poured out. And hopefully we can all learn together. I hope that was helpful. I really do. All right. We're done. So um, this week, don't forget your online donations. Uh, thank you for all those that do support. If you have appreciated and benefited from all that Hope Fellowship is, and if you are encouraged by this, consider supporting Hope Fellowship. We, we could use it. Um, and we're going to go into our Zoom chat in just a few minutes. So uh, once I go offline, uh, I need a couple moments, and then I'll, uh, 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 I'll look at my Facebook Messenger, see if there's any requests to join. Because if you don't have the link, send me a private message. You can join in and say hello. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And that's it for now. I hope you guys have a really, really great week. And we'll catch you guys soon. Thank you so much for watching. Bye-bye.